Um, We're going to be focusing this morning in verses 5 to 8, but we'll read uh, from verse 1 through to verse 8, the book of James, chapter 1, and reading from verse 1. It's page 1,213, 1213 in your pew Bibles. James 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Amen. Father, these are difficult and challenging words. Help us to understand their meaning, but not just to understand, to accept, and not just to accept, but to embrace, and not just to embrace, but to live. Grant us wisdom, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, according to the Metro, who wants to be a millionaire is set to return to our screens. I'm not sure if you will remember who wants to be a millionaire. It used to be hosted by Chris Tarrant, but if if the Metro is right, when it comes back onto our screens, it's going to be hosted by Jeremy Clarkson. So there's something to look forward to. Uh, if you don't remember who wants to be a millionaire, let me try and, try and trigger your memory. It was a game show, and the aim was to win a million pounds. You would progressively win more and more money as you answered more and more questions. Each question was multiple choice. And if you were struggling, you would get to use one of your three lifelines. It ran from 1998 to 2014, 16 years, but it became less and less popular as it went on. And I think one of the reasons for its demise was one of the lifelines, phone a friend. So in 1998, if you didn't know the answer to one of the questions, you could phone a friend. 
And if they knew it, they would tell you. And if they didn't know it, they would tell you that they didn't know it. By 2014, you would phone a friend if you didn't know one. And if they knew it, they would tell you. And if they didn't know it, they would Google it very quickly and then tell you the answer. And it become quite blatant that there are videos on YouTube of people, friends, being phoned and saying, right, I'm just typing it in just now, and then giving the answer. And I think that was one of the reasons that Who Wants to Be a Millionaire struggled. We have never had such easy access to so much information. Try and trigger your memories again. Do you remember Encyclopedia Britannia? 32 volumes, weighed about 10 stones if you had the money to buy them all. Very expensive. And uh, again, it had a long run before its demise. It was printed not just for 16 years, but for 244 years until 2012. And then they stopped printing it. I think there may be a, an online version, but they stopped the printed books. Why did they stop? Well, the reason that they stopped is because people began to realize that they already had all of this information. They didn't have to spend all of that money because it was all there for them on their mobile phones. They could get that information more quickly, more conveniently, more cheaply, and it was always there in their hands, at their fingertips, ready to be accessed. So much information. That's the world in which we live, isn't it? So much information. So easily available. So much information, so much knowledge, so little wisdom. I think that would be a fair summary of the world in which we live. So much information, so much knowledge, so little wisdom. What is wisdom? I'm going to give you the best definition that I have heard of wisdom as it's presented to us in the Bible. Biblical wisdom is skill in living according to God's way of life. Biblical wisdom is skill in living according to God's way of life. It is seeing reality as God sees it and living in the light of that truth. So it's not just head knowledge up here, it's seeing what God sees and living in accordance with what he sees. Solomon had money, but he treasured wisdom. Wisdom is rare and wisdom is precious. Solomon treasured wisdom. Blessed are those, he says, who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you can desire can compare with her. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. 
James says to those whom he writes to, if any of you lacks wisdom, I struggled with this passage uh, when trying to prepare for this morning. I struggled to see the link between verse 4 and verse 5. Where does wisdom come from? He's talking about suffering and endurance and how that can be used by the Lord to, to mature us, to, to, to grow us in, in endurance and in perseverance. And then it seems somewhat sudden to me that, that, that he mentions wisdom. There is a link between verse 4 and verse 5, the word lack. Uh, but that doesn't answer, you know, where wisdom comes from. It seems to me that James, as he writes, is thinking of the people to whom he writes. And he realizes, he recognizes that not everyone will hear and receive what he has had to say. Some people will respond negatively to what he has just said. And I think that's where wisdom comes from. He is responding to possible objections. So firstly, think of those who will struggle to understand or to embrace what James has just taught. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I mean, there are bound to be some people who will read those words and say, I don't consider it pure joy. I consider it a pure nightmare when I face trials of many kinds. This is terrible. John Calvin says, all our feelings are averse to the thought that we can be happy in the midst of evils. So James bids us to ask for wisdom. There are those who will hear what James has said, consider it pure joy, my brothers, consider it pure joy, my sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. They will hear it and they will say to themselves, I cannot possibly accept that. That trials should be seen as an occasion for joy. I am not having that. And we've all been there at times, haven't we? I know what the Bible says, but I don't like it. What, what do you do in those moments? They are, they are like a fork in the road for us in our Christian walks. You read what Scripture says, but you don't like it. Do you ignore what God has said? Try and pretend you've forgotten? Do you try and twist what God has said? Or do you pray, Lord, I lack wisdom to see the goodness of this truth. Help me to accept it as true, and in time help me to see the goodness of it. And sometimes there can be quite a long period of time between those two things, between accepting the truth of what God has said and seeing the beauty and the goodness of that truth. And that's okay. Sometimes we have to accept the truth is true before we see the goodness and the beauty of that truth. I quoted from Proverbs 3 a moment ago, and I missed out the most famous verse 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, says the Lord. Fear the Lord and shun evil. So that's the first objection. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Those who say, I, I I'm not accepting that. I cannot see joy in my struggles and in my suffering and in my tribulations and in my trials. Secondly, I can imagine those who accept what James has said is true, but who find themselves saying, I can't do it. I can't live this life. I can't choose wisdom over foolishness. I'd love to rejoice in suffering and happily be matured by it, but it's too difficult. It's too hard. These people don't question that what God has said through James is true. They don't question that what God has said through James is good, but they question their own ability to live in the light of that truth. They don't say, I can't accept this is true. They say, I can't live in the light of this truth. Imagine those who have been rejected by their own people, by their fellow Jews, by those whom they love, perhaps by family members for their faith in Jesus. They have been persecuted. They have had to leave their homes, their communities, their towns. And they know that Jesus calls them to forgive and to love and to pray for those who persecute them. Maybe they read this verse, they read this passage, they read these words, and they say, I, I just don't think I can love those who have treated me like this. I just don't think I can pray for those who have persecuted me. James says, ask God for wisdom. If they ask, will God refuse to allow them to see how much they have been forgiven in Jesus Christ? And through that, will He not free them to forgive others? Of course He will. Will He not empower them and enable them to be strong in the grace of Christ Jesus? Of course He will. He will be delighted to answer that prayer. Andrew spoke about this last Sunday evening, didn't he? Looking to Jesus and then being made more like him. John Piper says, we become what we behold. To pray for wisdom is essentially to pray that we would see Jesus and that in seeing Jesus, we would be so captivated by what we see and by what he has done for us that we would be able joyfully to live the life that he calls us to live to the glory of God our Father. Ask God. You can't do it by willpower, but you can do it by God's power. He will give you the freedom to live well and to live wisely in the eyes of heaven.
to pray for wisdom is to pray that we would see Jesus in God's Word. It is to pray that we would be empowered by God's Spirit to live like the one who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, to the glory of God our Father. It is to ask God for skill in living well, in living wisely, in living a way that maybe doesn't impress the world around us, but it certainly impresses uh, the audience of heaven as it looks down upon us. Isn't it striking that the way to maturity is actually to stay like a little child? Not to be childish, but to be childlike. Warren Wearsby says, not everyone who grows old grows up. And that is true. We are to grow up. We are to mature in our Christian lives. We are to be complete, or at least to seek and to strive to be those who are complete, not lacking in anything. But the way that we do that is to never forget how utterly dependent we are on God, our Father, and to keep praying to Him like a little child. Who is this God to whom we are to turn? He is the giving God, the God who gives. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives. You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. There are three great encouragements for us to absorb. God, the true and living God, is the God who gives when we ask. It is in His very nature to give, and that is wonderful news because of who He is. So Katie or Grace might come to me and they might say, Dad, can I have some sweets or can I have some money? And I might say, I I don't have any. I have no sweets left. The cupboard is bare. I have no money left. Can't give you anything. But our Heavenly Father will never lack the resources that we need to help us. Katie or Grace might ask me for some time to play with them. And I might say, look, I'd love to, but I just don't have any time. Or I might say, I'd love to, but I don't have any energy. I need to go for a wee lie down. But the one who watches over you, the one who watches over us, will neither slumber nor sleep. Katie or Grace might ask for help with their homework or advice on how to handle some situation. I think the the latter is unlikely, if I'm honest. But they might ask. uh, And uh, with the best will in the world, I might give them the wrong answer to their homework. Or I might give them the right answer, but the wrong way of working out that answer. I might give them advice in their life situation that they're facing, which I think is good advice, but actually is bad advice. Not so with our Heavenly Father. He is the one who knows all things and who is true in all that he says. This God is the God who loves to give. And he gives generously. You don't have an allowance, and when it runs out, it runs out. 
He, he'll never say, you've, you've used your, your pocket money of, of grace. Come back to me next month. Never. He gives generously. And if He gives to us, it's not as though He has less to give to other people. He gives generously, and He gives without finding fault. So, you go to your mum or dad when you're six or when you're 16 to ask for sweets or for money. You'll probably do it with a lot of confidence, but as you get older, it becomes a bit harder. You're kind of a bit worried about going to your mum or dad asking for money when you're uh, you're 38, because you think, well, maybe, maybe my mum will say, well, you've wasted what I've given you already in the past. It's about time you learn to stand your own two feet. Well, we ought never to think that God will be like that because He gives without finding fault. Maybe the best picture to use would be the prodigal son as he comes home with his uh, tail between his legs, fearful at the response he will receive from his father, and his father runs down the path to receive him. Does he run down the path to wave his finger in anger? Does he run down the path to say to the son, I told you so? Or to say, do you know how hard I worked for the inheritance that I gave to you that you just wasted? He runs down the path in love. He runs down the path to restore the relationship with his son. He runs down the path to give. To give a warm welcome, to say the least, to give a party, to give the fattened calf, to give himself to his son again. And sometimes we run away from God in shame, in the very moments that we should run to God, assured that he is the God who loves us and will give to us without finding fault as we look to Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus and a child of God, then your Father's desire is to give to you generously without finding fault. There is no reason to run away in guilt or in shame. He is not like a loving but limited Father that gives what He can, when He can. Far less like a bank that gives for itself with all sorts of conditions, and will send intimidating letters if those conditions are not met. He's a loving father who wants his children to grow and to be all that they can be, and he will give us all that we need in order that we may become those mature followers of Jesus and children of God, those mature Christian people when we ask Him, when we ask Him, are you asking Him? But, there is a but, the section that we read finishes by questioning our desire. So, it it affirms the desire of God to see His children grow up and mature. It affirms the willingness of God to give to His children generously, wholeheartedly, But then it questions our desire, the sincerity of our hearts. Do we really want to grow up? Do we want to become mature? 
The word translated doubt describes those who are not sure which side to go for. It's like there's a, a battle and you're trying to work out which side's going to win and you'll join the army of the side that you think will win. That's the word that's used here. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. When he asks, he must believe and not deliberate. It can be translated like that. If we are asking for God's wisdom, but, re- but considering rejecting the wisdom of God when it comes, then we'll not be anchored to anything secure. We'll just be blown about like the, uh, like the waves as the wind blows. The word translated double-minded is actually literally double-souled. Obviously, such a thing is ridiculous, double-souled. We can't have one foot in the kingdom of light and another in the kingdom of darkness. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. And James says, the person who tries is double-souled, unstable in all they do. I found this a hard passage, I'll be honest. And so I did what I tend to do when I'm struggling in a passage of Scripture. I turned to one of my uh, favorite preachers online, uh, to Dick Lucas. I don't know if you've heard of Dick Lucas or not. He's a wonderful preacher. Uh, He was at uh, St. Helens, Bishopgate, for many, many years. He's in his 90s now. Uh, He started Proclamation Trust, which is resources and equips preachers. He's been a great blessing to the church for many, many years. And I listened to him speak on this passage. He's wonderful. You should, you should search for him online and listen. When you've heard me preach a rubbish sermon in James, go on and see what he, he says. Uh, a wonderful preacher uh, and a wonderful voice and accent as well. He, he speaks like the queen, only a little bit more posh. Uh, it's great, great to hear. Uh, anyway, Dick Lucas summed this section up by saying this. He said, the world says, give me understanding in full and I will consider committing myself to your Christian cause. The Bible says, commit yourself to what you know to be true and God will give you understanding. That's the difference. You see it? The world says, give me understanding in full and I will consider committing myself to your Christian cause. The Bible says, commit yourself to what you know to be true and God will give you understanding. James chapter 1 verses 5 to 8 is a great call to commit to the cause of Christ, but it's accompanied with a great promise. Those who commit, commit wholeheartedly to the cause of Christ and to the ways of Christ and to the word of Christ, will be given by God all that they need to grow and to flourish and to live well and wisely in His service. And that should excite us. It should excite us. Because blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you can desire can compare with her. 
Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is like a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. Amen. Let's come before the Lord together as we pray, and then we will stand to sing, Be Thou My Vision. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Loving, giving Father, thank you for all that you have so graciously given to us. Thank you above all else for the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who lived a perfect and pure life in our place and yet was willing to humble himself, to become obedient to death, even death on a cross for our sins. We thank you that he is the one who rose to life victorious, who rose to life eternal and that he graciously shares that victory with all who turn to him and trust in him. So we thank you, Father, for the life that we know in Jesus, life in all of its fullness, life in abundance, life lived as your children, and life eternal. Help us, Father, as we seek to follow Jesus faithfully, Give us the wisdom that we need to be all that you call us to be in Christ. Give us the wisdom to live wisely in Christ's service for our joy in Jesus and for your glory in our lives, we pray. Amen.